following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I got a real easy, simple, scientific question for you. I saw the looks. I mean, like, don't ask science questions. This one's an easy one, though. You don't have to answer. Just think. So if you're wrong, don't be embarrassed because you don't have to say this out loud. But how do you know that every butterfly you see is an adult? How do you know every butterfly you see is an adult? And here's the answer. Because there's no such thing as a baby butterfly. There is no such thing as a baby butterfly. There are caterpillars, and caterpillars become butterflies. We know this because there's a visible change that happens to a caterpillar. You've never seen a butterfly and been like, oh, that's a really pretty caterpillar. No, there's, a, there's, a, there's an actual change that happens. There is proof that the caterpillar has matured into the butterfly. Last week, we talked in, in Nehemiah chapter 7 about growing up in our faith. And we talked about what is required in order for us to do that. We talked about um, that, that need and, and what the foundation is for us to grow. But there's something implied in that conversation, right? If we are going to grow, if we are going to mature, then something else has to happen for us. We have to change, right? That's the proof that we have grown, that we have matured, is that there is a change in us. If we never change, we're not maturing. And while it's easy to see what we need to do, and it's easy to see the need for that maturing process and that change, it's much harder to actually put that into action, isn't it? Right? Anybody love change? N- none of us love change. We might know why we need to change. We might need to know what we need to do. But at some point, we have to put that into action. We have to put the knowledge into practice, and we have to go through the process of change. So the question before us today then is, how do we build on the foundational requirements of maturity and implement them into our lives so that we do mature, so that we do change? And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to see three principal actions that are vital to taking the foundational knowledge of spiritual growth and putting them into action and position ourselves to be molded, shaped, and changed by God for his purposes. And the first one we're going to see is if we are going to change, if we are going to grow, if we are going to mature, then we must listen attentively. We listen attentively. Nehemiah chapter 8. Verses 1 through 8 says this, and it actually starts in chapter 7 in the second half of verse 73, where it says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. 
While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah stood beside him on the right. And to his left were Padiah, Meshel, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem. Ezra opened the book in the full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And with their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen, amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echab, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Maasai, Kalida, Azariah, Josadab, Hanan, and Peliah, were with, who were Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving meaning so the people could understand what was read. Okay. The people, the people listen attentively. We listen attentively. Remember where we're at in the story of Nehemiah. The work has been completed. The walls have been rebuilt. The gates have been put in place. The people finished the task. So now they come together to celebrate. They come together to worship. In verse one through three, it says they came at this time in the, in the seventh month. And this is really important to the Jewish faith. Because if we remember back, if you remember back a few years ago when we studied through the book of Leviticus, we saw that the seventh month is a month of celebration for the Jewish people. There's two festivals that take place in the seventh month. The first is the Day of Atonement, which is a celebration of God's deliverance. And then after that is the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, and, and this is a celebration of God's provision. So for the Jewish people, the seventh month is all about celebrating God's deliverance and God's provision. And so in this seventh month, the people come together. In verses four through six, it says, as they came together, they listened to the word being read to them, right? They're there from daybreak until noon. So like six hours, these people come and stand in the middle of town, listening to the word of God being read and worshiping the Lord. Can you imagine at six o'clock this morning, if we were all up in the triangle, Neary, and we're all just going to stand, we're not, don't bring your own chair. You don't get to sit on the ground. There's no benches. We're just going to stand there for six hours and listen to the reading of the Lord. Man, there's stuff in that. We, we could do a sermon series on that issue alone. But that's absolutely amazing, isn't it? They are so just blown away by God's love, by what God has already done, that they come and for six hours they stand and listen. And then as they hear it, they fall on their faces and worship the Lord. It says in verse 7, 8, that, that as they are listening to the word of the Lord being read, as they are worshiping, it says the Levites then stand and basically they preach sermons. Right, they came so that the people could understand God's word, which is very similar to what we do here. They take God's truth, they read it, they explain it with understanding, and they give the people some application. Here's what this means to you. So what we have here is on this first day of the seventh month, the people gather. 
and they worship, much like we worship. But there's that key phrase in here that we come up to, right? At the end of verse three, it says, all the people listened attentively. They weren't just showing up. They weren't doing their civic duty. They came and they listened. They wanted to hear God's word. They wanted to hear God's voice. They wanted to be changed by who God is and what he says. And it's right here that God begins the restoration of his people. Again, chapters one through six of Nehemiah, God has rebuilt the city. And now he is restoring his people. And it starts with God speaking and the people listening attentively. And just as they are going to mature and grow by listening attentively, so must we listen attentively. Because here's the thing. As Christians, we still have times in our lives where we feel lost, don't we? Don't you have times where you look around and go, I have absolutely no idea what to do with my life or with the world around me. I I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know what God's calling me to. I don't know how to serve him. I don't know how to, how, how to do any of this. We feel lost. Even though, as we've read the Bible, as we've heard sermons preached, as we've gone through Bible studies with other people, we know that God's given us everything we need in his word, right? We know that 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Jesus' divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Peter says, everything God's given us helps us overcome our flesh, helps us overcome the evil, the lostness, the confusion of this world. He's given us every answer we need. So let me ask you this. We know that's true. Why then do we feel confused? Do we feel lost? Why then do we have that despair sometimes? Well, if we're honest, it's because we don't listen attentively to his word, right? We go, I know what it says, I got the knowledge in here, but do I really want to listen to what he has to say? See, if we're going to grow, if we're going to mature, if we're going to put God's word into action in our lives, if we're going to be changed, we must listen attentively, not just hear, not just gather up knowledge, but listen attentively. So how do we do that? Let me give you a three necessary ingredients to listening attentively to God's word. First, desire God's word. Desire God's word. We have to want to listen to him. God will never force himself upon you. He will never make you listen. He will never make you follow him. We have to want to listen for God's voice. And and the thing is, if we don't desire God's word, if we don't desire to hear his voice, how are we ever going to understand it? If I I were to go to to Spain, let's say I go to Spain and I'm like, 
I want to assimilate to the culture of, of Spain, and I want to talk to the locals, and I want to figure out, you know, what they do in a normal day. I want to follow them around, and I want to learn from them. You know how well that would go for me? <laughs> Not very well for me, because I don't speak Spanish. I took four years of high school Spanish. I know like two sentences and like three other words. That's about it. So if I go and I want to learn from the, from the locals, I want to say, hey, teach me all. I, I can't because I can't even understand their language. I might pick up some things here or there along the way. I might gain a smidgen of understanding of some facet of their lives. But I'm incapable of sitting with them and listening to them. So I'll never be changed. We have to yearn to understand God's voice. We have to, to sit with him. We have to learn his language. In order to hear, we must desire God's word. We have to desire God's word. Number two, second ingredient, stop talking. Stop talking. There's the old saying, right? God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You heard that? You know that one? Moment of theological clarity. I don't think that's why God made you with two ears and one mouth, just so that you would know that. But, but it's true. I mean, there's beautiful truth to that, that we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen far more than we speak. Because if we're constantly running our mouths, we're not listening. You've had conversations with those people, right? You know what that's like? We're like, ah, and they keep talking. You go, Bleh! and they keep talking. You go, ah, and they keep talking. Then they answer you a question, and you're like, oh, well, and then they keep talking. And those people are not listening. Proverbs 18, verse 2 says, the fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. The fool wants to talk and talk and talk and not listening. We talked a couple of weeks ago about being still before the Lord, where he says, be still, right? And we remember that that be still means go limp, to surrender, to give ourselves fully to what God is doing in us, through us, what he is speaking to us. That's true of our tongues as well. Sometimes we just need to let our tongues go limp so we can hear God's word. If we desire God's word, we have to stop talking so that we can hear him speak. So desire God's word. Stop talking. Number three, accept direction and correction. This one hurts, doesn't it? Accept direction and correction. Because whether it's a, a time that we spend actually reading and studying God's word, or maybe it's the, the voice or the message of a trusted friend, or maybe it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, speaking truth to us. Correction and direction are hard to accept from other people. But, but if we're going to be changed, we have to learn to accept that direction and the correction that God puts into our lives through his word, through trusted friends, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And not only must we accept it, but we accept it gratefully and joyfully. 
Or we should be grateful when somebody we trust and know who we know is working for the glory of the Lord says, hey, here's something I've seen. Here's something you need to work on. As much as that stings in the moment, we know that's going to draw us closer to the Lord as he molds us and shapes us into who he wants us to be, making us more and more Christ-like. We should love that correction. Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 says, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. If God is working in you, if God is showing you where you need to grow, where you need to change, if God is correcting you and directing you, know that's because he loves you. Not because he's unhappy with who you are. Not because you're just not quite enough yet. You need to get a little better so that I can really love you. No, God says, I love you more than you can possibly imagine. Let me show you how you can embrace your faith in a greater way to know me better, to know my love more deeply. We desire God's word. We stop talking. We accept direction and correction. As we read, as we study, as we work, as we walk through this life, Let me ask you this question today. Are you listening? Are we listening? And are we listening attentively? We must listen attentively to God's word. But this draws its significance from the second part here. In verse 15, uh, verse 9 through 15, we see that if we are going to be changed, We must recognize authority. We recognize authority. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 through 15. says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, since today is holy, don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. On the second day, the family heads of all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, assembled before the scribe Ezra to study the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festival of the seventh month. So they, pro- so they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make shelters, just as it is written. Recognize authority. There's two events that take place in these verses. First, as the people are listening to the law being read, they are, are convicted They weep and they mourn because they see through the lens of the law, the depth of their sin. The depth of their sin is exposed by God's word. But Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites remind the people of this important truth. That the exposure of our sin is not meant to be wallowed in, 
but it's meant to drive us to celebrate the immensity of God's love and grace and forgiveness. This time, the seventh month, remember, is a time of celebration for the people. They're supposed to celebrate how God delivers them from sin on the Day of Atonement. And they're supposed to celebrate how God provides everything they need in the Festival of Booths. And so they say, whoa, 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 you guys don't weep and mourn over your sin. That's not the time for this. Now, let me just say this. There's a moment to feel the depth of our sin, to feel that conviction, to feel that heartbreak because we have rejected God's way. But in this time of celebration, God has commanded them to turn their focus from their brokenness onto the goodness of who he is. And they say, if God has called us to celebrate, we must not mourn. We must celebrate as God has commanded us. So they send everybody home and everybody goes home and celebrates. The second event happens the very next day when Ezra gathers with the the family heads, right? This is now not all the men and women and everyone who could understand. This is the family heads. Ezra's drawing these leaders of the families together to teach them so that they can go out and teach their families. And as they do this, as they study more in depth in God's law, they see the the commands for the the festival of booths or the, the feast of tabernacles, as it's called both, depending on your translation. And they see this and they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We haven't done this. This is God's command to celebrate him, to know the joy of his provision, to remind ourselves of how he has taken care of us time and time and time again, and we haven't done it. We need to fix it. And so they send out word to the people. They say, go prepare. Here's what the law says. Here's what the law teaches us about this day and about this celebration. Go get ready because we are going to celebrate. They respond to God's law by making preparations to fulfill it. Now, here's, here's the question that, that I think is interesting to ask ourselves. When they hear God's law, when they hear this written, when they study this, when they see what God's commanded, why do they respond with that obedience? Why do they go, okay, we, we've got to do this now? Is it because Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites have told them they need to? Right? Remember, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Levites, they've all said, hey, you guys need to go home and celebrate. And then they told these family leaders, hey, we need Understand, you need to obey this law. Here's what I think happens. I think they trust their leaders. I think the people trust Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites. But you know why they trust Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites? Because they trust God's word. More than those who oversee the word, more than those who deliver the truth of God's word, they trust the truth of God's word. They see the authority of the word of the Lord. And they trust in God's word. We take our kids, we try every year to take our kids to a a water park over the winter months. And our kids are still young enough that they remember going to the water park, but they they don't have real clear memories of what goes on there. So every time we take them to the water park, it's the same thing. Like they, they get there, they're all excited and they jump on the little kitty slides, like the little baby slides. 
Um, and they're like, oh, this is great. And then we're like, hey, you want to go to the, the next one? Um, oh, okay. And they go to the next bigger slide. And then we get to a, a bigger one. We're like, you guys want to go down this slide? And like, nope. We don't want anything to do with that thing. And you're like, well, you went down it last year. I did? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, uh, they kind of have this fear in them. You're like, listen, it's perfectly safe. Right? You're going to go through this tube. Watch. watch. We'll, watch. we'll watch a few other people go down. Like You're going to go through this tube. It'll be a little dark, but it'll be great. And you'll have so much fun. You'll get down here. We'll be waiting for you. And they reluctantly kind of go up the steps. And you see that fear and that trepidation in every step. And then they go down. They're like, that was awesome! <laughs> they went down the slide. They, they figured it was safe because they'd been told it was safe. Now, the lifeguard at the top of the stairs may have told them it was safe. If you look at that slide, you'd go, eh, it seems relatively safe. But why do my kids trust it enough to go? Not because the slide looks safe. Not because the lifeguard told them it was safe. Because I told them. They know me. They trust me. I told them it would be okay. They trust me. We trust the word of the Lord. We trust the scriptures. We trust the authority because we know that it is God's word. We trust the text of the Bible because we know the goodness and the holiness and the sovereignty of the one speaking through it. We know that God's truth is the truth. And we know that when God's word disagrees with our thoughts, with our actions, with our desires, with our culture, with our logical assertions, we know that we are wrong. It's never him. God's word is true and has proved itself true over and over and over and over again. Why? Not because it's words on a page, but because it is the word of our God, the one who is truth. And until we rest in the authority of God's word, not as a partial guide to a better life on earth, but as God's sovereign message, then understand that we will never be changed. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, he says, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. If we want to grow, if we want to mature, if we want to change, we can't look at God's word, God's truth, and go, that's nice, but eh. it doesn't work that way. And while we have lots of authorities in our lives, Right? And when I say God's word is the supreme authority, I don't mean you get to go through the rest of the week and say, well, I don't have to listen to my boss or to my parents or to you know, whoever. No, that, that's not the point. The truth is we have one ultimate authority. That is the word of our God. So what is our ultimate authority today? What do we recognize as having the first authority in our lives? Is it our desires? Is it our convictions? Is, is it some scientific certainty we believe we have? Or is it the word of our God? We recognize authority. 
when we listen to and rightly order the authority of God's word, then we have no choice but to respond the way the Israelites did. And if we are going to mature, if we are going to be changed, then we must act immediately. Act immediately. This passage finishes up, verse 16 through 18 says, the people went out, brought back branches and made shelters for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the court, the court of the house of God, the square by the water gate, the square by the Ephraim gate, and the whole community that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And there was tremendous joy Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last. The Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was an assembly according to the ordinance. The people hear the word of God and they go, oh, we're supposed to have this festival and we've ignored it. And so what do they do? They go out, they collect branches, they build shelters and they celebrated just as they had read in the law. In Deuteronomy 16, you get all the stipulations for this festival that they follow. And when that command came and when they went out, when they changed course, when they followed God's law, they obeyed and they had, verse 17 says, tremendous joy. They celebrated, they carried it out with tremendous joy. See, the Israelites had, had forgotten God's commands. And since they had forgotten God's commands, when they were confronted with this truth, they could have made excuses. Well, yeah, our family didn't make us keep up with these things. How were we supposed to know? They could have looked for ways to fit God's commands into the, the way of life they'd already built. Well, yeah, we know God's law says that, but um, can we kind of just build shelters and not really live in them for eight days? Maybe we shorten it to like two days because I've got a break in my schedule here for a couple days. Maybe we can do this for, for two days instead of the full eight days of the festival. They could have done a lot of things, but instead they dropped everything and they obeyed God with immediacy. They said, this is so important that what God says I will do no matter what. This is true obedience. In Matthew chapter four, verse 18 through 22, when Jesus calls his first disciples, we see this kind of obedience. It says uh, in verse 18, as, as Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Verse 22 says, immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. See, faithful obedience, obedience that changes us, that makes us more and more like Christ, never says, I'll get to it eventually. Faithful obedience is immediate. You see the contrast in scripture to this? to this calling and this immediate response. You get it in Luke chapter nine and Jesus speaks to really three, three different men that he calls to follow him. In verse 59 through 60, one of them says, Jesus said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. 
And again, we look into the cultural aspect of that. What he's saying is not, my parents have already died. I need to have a burial. He's saying, my parents will die someday. And when they do, when that time comes, when my responsibilities are fulfilled here, when I'm taken care of through their death, then I'll bury them and then I'll follow you. He says, eventually, Lord, I want to follow you, but eventually I'll get there. And Jesus says, it's not the way it works. He says, I call you. Will you respond? Will you immediately obey? Faithful obedience goes immediately. Because a proper understanding of the gospel pushes us to respond immediately. If we truly understand God's love for us, if we truly understand how hard we have fought against him, if we truly understand the depth of our sin, the ways we have rebelled against him, against his law, against his love, against his grace, against his forgiveness, against his offers to welcome us back into his presence time and time again, if we truly understand how much he has done, how truly we have rejected him, and how great the sacrifice was to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live in this world, to live the life that you and I were created to live, so that he could die a death that you and I deserve to die, so that he could rise, giving us a victory over sin and death that we could never earn on our own, so he could deliver us from our sin, from this world, from the tragedy of our selfishness and idolatry. If we truly understand the immensity of that love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion, how would we want to do anything other than obey him immediately? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. Because knowing all that, there's still so many times that God calls me and I'm like, uh, hold on, hold on. I'm dealing with this over here. Wait your turn. You ever been there? But when we truly grasp the gospel, when we let that saturate our hearts, we have no way to respond other than with faithful, immediate obedience. And so I don't know what this is going to look in your heart as you think about the week, the month, the year ahead of you. What does that faithful, immediate obedience look like to you? What's that thing God has been putting on your heart that you've put off, that you said, hold on, God, just wait your turn? Right? Maybe, maybe for you, it's a call to respond to the gospel in a way you never have before, to give yourself fully and completely without reservation to the Lord. For you, maybe it's a call to, to simplify a lifestyle, to downgrade your way of life, to relieve the stress that is constantly poured over your family. Maybe it means giving up a, a vacation to go on a missions trip. Maybe it means setting aside some of your very limited free time to meet with another believer to be held accountable in your growth and maturity, maybe to be mentored by another. Maybe it means forgiving that person that you really don't want to forgive. There's probably something in each one of our lives where we say, I feel like God wants me to do this, but we continue to put one of a million excuses after that. I know God wants me to do this, but I don't have time. I know God wants me to do this, but I don't have the energy. I know God wants me to do this, but I really want to do that. Listen, are we ready for Jesus to actually change us? 
we want to grow and mature in our faith, are we ready for Jesus to change us? And are we willing to do that right now? I've heard it said, information without application leads to frustration and stagnation. Those of us who understand the the depth and the beauty of the gospel have felt the love of God displayed in our in our lives through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we felt that, you know that feeling of we want to grow and mature in our faith. And it's relatively easy to gather the right information or to have the right answers as to why we should grow or how we can grow, to even know some some tips, some tricks, some little things we could implement into our lives. But if we stop there, the Christian life quickly gets bogged down because we lose our joy, because we find that, yeah, having all this knowledge isn't changing my life, and I don't know what's going on, because knowledge doesn't set our lives apart. Knowledge in and of itself does not change us. The real question is, what will we do with that knowledge? How will we act? Will we allow God to continue to change us? Will we let his spirit move in us and through us to mold us and shape us? Will we put ourselves in a position to listen attentively to God's commands, to recognize the authority with which he speaks, the authority that his voice must have in our lives, all while being prepared to act immediately, obediently, and decisively in light of the love, the grace, mercy, compassion, and salvation of our one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church family, May we never settle for knowing what is good, what is right, even what is holy. But may we be changed by the knowledge of the overwhelming love of Jesus. Let's be a people who are so consumed with God's grace that we cannot help but shine the light of Jesus with every hope in our hearts, with every word from our lips, with every thought from our minds and with every work of our hands. That our lives may give all glory, all honor, and all power to our great and awesome God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for um, this day. We thank you for the blessing we have of, first off, just being called your children. We thank you for the way you have loved us and cared for us. We thank you for your forgiveness over our selfishness and our idolatry. We repent of the ways we look to satisfy ourselves first and give you what's left over. Because, Lord, you have been so good to us. We want to know how to love you with all of who we are, with all that we have, with all that we think, do, and say. And so we thank you for the the gift of your word, for the authority with which you speak as the king over all of creation, sovereign, reigning, and ruling over all things in all places and at all times. We ask that you would show us today how we can act, how we need to respond immediately not so that you will love us, not so that we will be acceptable to you, but because you have already loved us, you have already called us your children. 
you have already welcomed us into your family and your kingdom. So Father, we, we come to you and we give our lives to you this morning because you've given everything for us. We thank you. We love you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.